BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Happy Thanksgiving. This is the Bower and Rose podcast brought to you by our good friends at JustTheNews.com and SiriusXM, the Patriot Channel 125. A happy Thanksgiving on a Bowerless Bauer and Rose podcast. Bauer in his contract it's written that he doesn't have to work uh, 10 days on either side of a holiday. So um, that's the deal I can aspire to. 402 years ago, it happened. One of the great works of American, not just literature, but American thinking, American thought, the American ideal by William Bradford, the governor of a Plymouth plantation, his famous elegy to what our founders sought and what our founders built should be memorized by every American. But them a place did God provide in wilderness and did them guide unto the American shore where they made way for many more. They broke the ice themselves alone and so became a stepping stone for all others who in like case were glad to find a resting place. Has anyone ever said it better than that? Taking one day a year, one day, for national commemoration and a national bowing of the knee to thank not simply God, but all those who came before us for the sacrifices they made, for the commitments they made, for the institutions they built and maintained, for the freedoms they established and subsequently fought to protect defend and expand the Mayflower Compact, the document that was written on route to America, the very foundation of our foundational document, the only instance in human history of that positive, original social compact. That was John Quincy Adams' line, that our founders thought to be the only legitimate source of our government. Now, these were members of the separatist church of Scrooby, England, who in 1606 were chased out of Scrooby in North Nottinghamshire because separatism was illegal. There was an established church of England. There was a bitter hundred-year civil war, which repeated itself all over Western Europe. Because humanity progresses. Originally, it was thought that the only way to maintain civil peace in a society, and it was true, and this is before the nation state supplanted religion, people identified by religious belief, by tribe, by ethnicity, not by nation, because there was no such thing as a nation. 
So mankind, in its thousand-year attempt to crawl out of barbarism into civilization, believed, with some legitimacy, that the only way there could be social peace is if there were a single acceptable religion. Separatism was very, very dangerous to that concept. So in 1606, because their unapproved assembly was illegal, they fled England for Holland. Fellowship and lack of ritual, that's what defined them. That's what defined these reformist zealots that wanted, and they were zealots, they wanted the Church of England, which was Protestant in name, but not really function. They wanted it to be completely shorn of icons and anything, anything that resembled the Vatican, Rome, Catholicism. Well, by the age of 17, this William Bradford became a complete separatist. King James I harassed him and his crowd out of England. They were arrested again and finally set sail for Amsterdam uh, in 1608. They had a really hard time, a very hard time. They attended an English-speaking church in Amsterdam that you can still go to today, by the way. It's a beautiful place, a lovely place. And Amsterdam was modern America in that sense. Amsterdam, uh, Holland, the Dutch Republic was free and open and tolerant. There were no, uh, there, uh, there was an established religion, but people were free. There was tolerance. And that's why the separatists, who we subsequently call pilgrims, moved there. So they settled there in 1608. They had a very uh, hard time originally, but a hard time from a perspective that some of us might recognize more than the troubles that they had in England. They were still separatists, but now they were separated even from their fellow exile separatists. So they picked up and moved south to a town of Leiden, in, uh, which is a university town in Holland, and they tried to rebuild their community there. Uh, but the problem was their goal which was to fulfill a religious ideal, a religious ideal from the book of Matthew, ye are the lights of the world, a city that is set upon a hill, cannot be hidden from Matthew, I think it's chapter 5. Bauer could correct me if he ever showed up for work. But they thought they were fulfilling an ideal, that they they were here to fulfill that biblical idea that neither do men light a candle and put it under a bush, but on a candlestick that giveth light to all that are in the house, and that let your light so shine before men that they shall glorify your Father which is in heaven. That was their ideal. That was their job. So they planned a voyage to heaven, and you know what? They did it. Beyond anyone's wildest dreams, they actually achieved their objectives. And, uh, I mean, the story is just so spectacular. It's so spectacular and so memorable. They left Holland because what happened to their children is is what we're seeing happening to our children. And in a more normal age, it would be a wonderful thing. We see our children, new immigrants to America, want their children to become American. But the separatists in Holland didn't want that. They wanted their children like Jews do today, most Jews, well, maybe not even most, unfortunately, 
uh, most Jews, and I'm Jewish, obviously very Jewish, sitting in Israel, by the way, on the uh, just overlooking the Mediterranean, that they were afraid they were going to lose their children to the overriding flow and current of Dutch culture. So they picked up and they left, and they carried this 40-year-old ship called the Mayflower that had been sold so many times, its deed was unreliable. (laughs) And the Speedwell kept springing leaks, forcing repeated repairs. Most people don't know this. It kept leaving Southampton in England, and it had to come back because it was leaking. And the sacrifices these people made, William Bradford and his wife, they left their three-year-old son that scene must have been so heartbreaking because they were building out to build a new world on a new frontier. The Elon Musk, if you will, of his day with uh, apologies requested from William Bradford because of his religious sentiments. When you made a journey like that, you didn't come back. This was it. They were parting with their three-year-old son. They wanted founding purity. That's why they were called the Puritans by their opponents. They hated the term, by the way. They called themselves, get a load of this, Christians. So when we remember the sacrifices they made, the commitment they had, the firm belief in the pursuit of that shining city on a hill, take a moment, take a moment before you sit down at your Thanksgiving feast And just recall this story. If you've got a copy of On Pilgrim Plantation by William Bradford, read a couple of verses at your table before you eat or during your meal. So many times, and I've been guilty of this in the distant past, we take everything we have for granted, ironically including even Thanksgiving itself. What we did as a family back when my kids were young, uh, and even old for that matter, Bill Bennett's book, Book of Virtues. Fabulous story about William Bradford on Plymouth Plantation. We'd pass the book around. Each of us would read a paragraph. The kids would roll their eyes. Oh, do we have to do this? But it had meaning. It had purpose. That's the point of ritual. Ritual is something designed to connect us to those who came before. The greatest story in Neil Ferguson, that's the benefit, is that the benefit of history is that it helps us understand our condition, the human condition, better than just trying to understand the world that we live in today based upon our own terribly limited, God, am I about to use this term, lived experience? I just did. You can't just begin to understand the fullness of our experience by relying only upon what happens to you in your life. And that's the great crime we are committing against our children. That's what animals do. Animals only think about the here and now. There's no perspective, there's no context, there's no past, there's no future. When we come back... I want to offer a couple of Thanksgiving-related thoughts about exactly this issue. Woke totalitarianism bent against Thanksgiving. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast on JustTheNews.com and SiriusXM, The Patriot. 
Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, the Bauer and Rose podcast, pre-Thanksgiving podcast. Hope everyone has a meaningful, uplifting time with family, with friends, with gratitude. Not only is gratitude the right thing, it's also the smart thing. Because you can't, if you're not grateful for, things you ha- for the things you have in life, you can't be happy. Right? 90% of all the people that ever lived in the history of the world are dead. Unless you're prepared to study the past, to learn from the past, you're cutting yourself off from the overwhelming majority of the human experience. Now, it's no panacea, because while it's nice to think that learning from the past is going to enable us to avoid mistakes of the past, I think it actually was Neil Ferguson who said, men don't only learn from their mistakes, they learn how to make new mistakes. And if I learn from history, if you learn from history, and this is what we're depriving our children, you're going to make plenty of mistakes, we all do, but at least we might be able to recognize in the past some of the outlines of the mistakes that we're going to make today. And this is where wokeism, woke ideology, woke totalitarianism strikes me to be the greatest single threat to our freedoms, our way of life, and our civilization. But unlike most, and I hope I'm right, I'm not as despondent as others, I am for those who are sucked into this woke totalitarianism today, because for them there might not be an escape. It might not be an escape. But within this woke ideology are the seeds of its own destruction. See, revolutionary movements need intellectuals without responsibility. This is all Neil Ferguson, by the way. I'm channeling the great historian Neil Ferguson. And that revolutionary intellectual without responsibility is today's college professor. People who can write what they want, no matter the consequence. I can write that men can be uh, uh, pelicans and women can be dolphins without any accountability. And the problem, of course, is that those who make these ridiculous suppositions and don't suffer any consequences, those, that action impacts susceptible young people. It influences them into actually believing utopian nonsensical ideas are sensible. There's this argument that woke ideology is a form of, of, of Marxism. I'm hardly an expert on Marxist ideology, but I think woke ideology is much more like a cult, much more like a religion than any version of Marxism. It's pretty much unrecognizable from Marxism because there's, there's no materialism in it. There's no connection with class conflict, economic or social change. 
Now, it definitely appeals to the same kind of people that Marxism appealed to in the early 20th century, in the 20s, in the 30s, and that Nazism appealed to young people in uh, the 20s and 30s. I, I, I say it's a cult because it has all the characteristics of a medieval cult. Wokeism disengages from any rational argument. It doesn't even pretend to make rational arguments. It doesn't even pretend to make a rational scientific argument that a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man, let alone try to defend them. Wokeism requires this series of behaviors that are definitionally cultish. It seeks to convert people, and when it fails to do that, it it metaphorically burns them at the stake through social media. And that's, that's not really how Marxism worked. Young people and suggestible people willing to invest in these, these wokest ideas do so because they really have nothing to lose and they've had no experience in life that would, that would counteract them. Now, if you compare today's woke students, there's a definite superficial resemblance to the Cultural Revolution in China. But the interesting thing about the Cultural Revolution in China, uh, Nazism, Marxism, even religious cults, Anabaptists I'm thinking of in the 16th and century, 17th centuries, um, these were movements that were all led from above. But yet today's woke authoritarians or woke totalitarians behave as they already as if they already live inside a totalitarian state, when in fact they live in a perfectly free society. That's the paradox of today's cultural revolution. That's really what distinguishes it from those that came before. There is no big brother. Thinking of uh, George Orwell and Winston Smith, or whatever the, the, the character's name was, there is no big brother telling them to tear down statues, to destroy institutions, to humiliate their elders, to shame their contemporaries. They do it all right in the middle of a perfectly free society. And this is where I might have a little bit of optimism. Not every cult produces a reign of terror. Not every cult become Jacobins in the French Revolution or... Uh, uh, Marxists in a Bolshevik revolution or Mao in a Chinese revolution. There are all kinds of cults that that don't make it past the 20-yard line. All kinds of cults that start and fizzle pretty quickly. I mentioned the Anabaptists earlier. It's important to remember that wokeism is a religion. It has all the characteristics of a religion. It's more religious than it is ideological. And the interesting connection or parallel is there was an element of that kind of zealotry among the separatists who eventually came to America. And if all of that is true, then my hope is that wokeism will devour itself without being able to achieve anything like, quote-unquote, successful revolutionaries did in the French or the Russian or the Chinese revolutions. It'll devour itself. Because inherent in the woke project is that it is inherently divisive. Intersectionality carries with it the seeds of its own destruction. 
and quicker than you can think by the essential nature of wokeism. It pits one minority group against another. They've all got their own hierarchy of victimhoods, which results in every single minority group being set against every other minority group. And that can only result in a natural set of destruction, self-destruction. That might be promising. There's an old saying that that revolutions devour their children. Well, wokeism um, are way ahead of that because wokeists now devour their own parents. So many of these left-wing intellectuals, so-called left-wing intellectuals, responsible for creating wokeist nonsense in the first place now find themselves the targets of today's red guards. I, I think that the threat to whatever we can say is left of Western civilization is right here at home. It's much, much more likely that we dismantle our own civilization than that any outside force will do it to us. Ultimately, our civilization, Western civilization, Judeo-Christian civilization, is a set of specific ideas, specific identifiable institutions, and a central organizing principle to all those values, which is individual liberty. But as you know, or we should know, individual liberty is not something that occurs naturally in nature. It's incredibly hard to create, perpetually difficult to maintain, and it's the exception to human history, not the rule. And we only really got there in the last, I don't know, 75 years, 100 years, less, 75 And now there are so many in positions of authority that are actively working to throw it all away because those that were born after that apogee of freedom following the civil rights movement don't appreciate what work it took to create the freedoms they now take advantage of and take for granted. So my wish, Gary's wish, is for you to have a wonderful, meaningful, uplifting Thanksgiving with those you love. And the best way to realize its purpose, its value, its merit is to appreciate, to take a moment to thank God, to thank everybody at your table, to thank your family, your spouse, your significant other, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your grandparents, your friends, your fellow church members or synagogue members. That community is what brings us together, community is what unites us, and community is what makes us whole and fully human. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving.